God's grace and his mercy and his peace are not just symbolized, not just pictures, but in the flesh and for you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Merry Christmas. And it is a Merry Christmas. I love this. In spite of circumstance, in spite of the circumstances of the world and conditions, Christ still is born. The hope is born in, in, in Bethlehem. Love came down at Christmas. Nothing stops it. And we will continue to declare it and proclaim it constantly. I don't, I don't, you know I love to tell stories. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. And I, I just have always been captured by that. I love theater. I did a lot of it in high school and college. I love writing dramas. I love to see them performed. It's some of the greatest joy for me. I'm that, I'm that geek in our high school theater stuff where I'm the one that sits on the edge of his chair with a big, huge smile, and I laugh at crazy spots, and the kids stop, you know, half the times, because I just love it, and I, because I love the story. I love the way stories help undergird and support the reality of what, in fact, we are experiencing in this world. I love that our God doesn't just tell us stories from on high, but in fact, illustrates them. I want to to talk about what that means, because that's really my sermon title for today is, Let Me Illustrate for You. I say that a lot in sermons. Let let me give you, because I'll say, this is what you do, at least I do. This is my style of preaching, and there's a whole variety of different types of preaching. Like there's just, we're taught in our seminaries just to proclaim, just to proclaim. And that's good. They're like 12 minutes. And you probably wish that I did that. But, um, but, but it's not, for me, I need more than that. There's, it's enough to just proclaim. But I think it's so critical to illustrate um, so that people can take hold of what they did. That's why, that's why I brought this menorah. I wanted to talk about why the symbolism of light. If you come to church and if you've grown up in church or even if you're new to church, there are this, you could stop. If I asked you, let's do a little study, take a piece of paper, write down all the things which are illustrating things. Spiritual, deep theological truths, deep realities which God wants us to know. They are rampant throughout here, whether it's a candle or a Christ candle, a, a three-ring, a dove, a poinsettia, right? We can go... We could spend an hour and a half, don't worry, just going through all of the illustrations that are here. And and actually, I'm going to be just a little personal with you. If ever you felt, if you would ever indulge me, I would be fascinated if you or your family ever chatted about it and said, boy, this was an illustration that uh, Pastor Dinger used that really helped me or really, I would love a note like that because I'd love to hear which ones actually worked, you know. Because all along when you're preaching, you're saying, wow, the Bible is saying this really significant theological truth. How do I make that real for someone? Because when I was a teenager, when I was sat there and I'd go, yeah, whatever. You know, I don't, I'm not making all the connections on that. So I want to make the connections on it. Illustrate means to illuminate or to shine a light upon. And so all through, all through culture and history and uh, and so forth. There's all kinds of things. So I want to give you some examples. For example, some of my uh, very favorite ones. So, um, and actually, Gabe, I am really glad that you're here. Gabe did for me, which was the best children's message I've ever seen in my life. I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. And you did a second one, too, that I loved, absolutely, on football. It was great. But this one was a can of shaving cream. And I don't know if any of you remember that, 
But Gabe had a can of shaving cream and kids up here, and he just kept filling up bowls with the shaving cream. And, you know, and you can do that. It's astounding how much um, foam is inside one of those little cans. You just kind of keep going and keep going, and you fill up kind of bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl. I will never forget that because for me, the illustration that Gabe was trying to teach kids was God's love is like that. You can't contain it in this little thing. I mean, but yet we do see it contained in a tiny baby that's held in a, in a mother's arms, placed in a manger, and all of that and so much more is contained within that humble circumstance, but it overwhelms, overflows, seems like it never stops. I love that. I'll never forget it. Another one that I love is what we're doing right now with the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And we still have some of these books, by the way. We'll keep them, you know. But I love this. And, you know, if you're familiar with this, this is a famous illustrator in here. And, you know, this particular book has pictures from the movie. And I don't like them nearly as much as the drawings. I like the drawings better uh, because my imagination gets to work a little bit. And they're classic. And they're ones that I have seen again and again and again since I was a child. And, of course, this has all kinds of illustrations in it. I mean, you could say that Aslan is an illustration on the person and work of Jesus Christ in, a, in another way. But I love this. There's a one scene, and we actually have it on a little sticky on the outside there. In the, as, and, and so when the children are in, um, in Narnia talking to the beavers in the beaver's house, they hear about Aslan for the first time. And as the conversation goes on and progresses, at some point they kind of go, so Aslan is a lion, right? Is that safe? It's one of my favorite lines. And the beavers go, oh my, no. Isn't that a great line? Oh my, no, he's not safe. But he's good. And so, you know, it's interesting because that really is in many ways the journey of the Christian. If you plan on, on having Jesus lead and Lord, be the Lord of your life, you're not going to be the same. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is an absolutely transformational thing. That's a little scary sometimes. It can be like, feel like it's not safe. I don't know what's going to happen to me. How am I going to be different? What's God going to do? But to trust in his goodness and to know that God is longing to shape and form us like a potter on a wheel. We so much, the clay, we're the clay. We so much want to order the potter around. And so, is it safe to be a piece of clay on a wheel? I don't know. You don't know what you might turn out to be. But in the hands of God, it will be good. So I love that illustration. This is an illustration that I have used many times in funerals. Um, one of my favorite funeral texts is from uh, Exodus. Um, the children of Israel are wandering around in the desert. They're dying of thirst. They cry out, and they're angry. You know, the Jews, those Hebrews, they were not pleasant people and when they were unhappy, and they rebelled constantly, and they were arguing with God, and they cry out to Moses, we need water. And then off in the distance, they see this shimmering water. It's called Mara. And they race to this water thinking it's going to save them, and it's alkaline. You know, it's bitter. It's bitter. And so Moses is worried, kind of, it seems, that the people are going to just rebel on him and kill him. And, you know, and so he cries out to God and says, okay, God, help me out here. I need, I need a solution. And God shows him a piece of wood, just a simple piece of wood. And it's probably something like this. This is a piece of sagebrush. It might have been out there in the desert. And he shows him a piece of wood, and he says to Moses, take that piece of wood and throw it in the, 
in the bitter water. And the bitter water became sweet, and it saved the people. I love this. Because sometimes when we're remembering a person's life, depending upon the circumstances, it can be a bitter moment. That's a hard cup to swallow. It's a hard moment in people's lives. It can be very bitter, very hard. But there is a piece of wood that God tells us to throw into that bitter water that makes it sweet, and and it happens to be a cross. It's an illustration. That piece of wood didn't save us. The cross saved us, the one who hung on the cross. My, one of my very favorite ones, too, I used at camp this summer. It's one of Teresa's favorites. My son has a Woody doll from uh, uh, Toy Story. And when he was a little boy, it came out, you know, the Toy Story movies came out when he was little. And so just like, um, what's the kid's name, Andy, in the movie, he wrote his name, David wrote his name on the bottom of Woody's boot. Right? So on, on our Woody that's about this tall and I couldn't find this morning, it, said, it says David. And I love that. I was at Camp Perkins and doing this with kids, and I said, you know, and, and kids immediately, when you show them the Woody doll, they're like, you know, they're right, right on, right, right with you. And it was so cool to say, you know, in your baptism, that's what God has done. God has written his name on you. And he, you think Andy loved that toy? How much do you think God loves you? And then the one I told, I told yesterday, so I won't go into great detail, but it's one that I don't know that I told it very well yesterday because it, for me personally in ministry, it was one of the most wonderful illustrations ever when we had a family and they had an autistic child. When I asked them, is everyone baptized in your family? They said, yes, everyone's baptized except for Kevin because Kevin could never be baptized. He was very autistic. He wore a helmet. He could self-injure himself. He was very modestly communicative, verbal, very little bit. And I immediately kind of looked at him and I said, why in the world? What do you mean he can't be baptized? Well, he can't say that he believes in Jesus or he can't commit his life to Jesus. And I said, do you think that's what matters? I said, it's God's commitment to him. And he has entrusted this child into your hands. I said, God is longing to pour out his gifts and his grace and give you the assurance and the certainty, and Kevin, the certainty that he is God's child and that he's welcomed into the family. God is longing to do that. And they just started weeping. And it was the best baptism I've ever seen that next Sunday. I said, let's do it Sunday. And so to welcome Kevin into the family of God, not because of what Kevin had done, but because of what God was inviting him and welcoming him home. I just love that because that makes it grace. The other way makes it obedience. And God is longing to pour out his grace that we might respond, not with obedience ahead, but gratitude to follow. So what a blessing of grace. So I don't know if any of those illustrations ever bless you or help you But my point today is Christmas, the celebration of Christmas, is wonderful as an illustration. All of those things I shared with you, I hope, and we strive week by week to illustrate the beautiful, theological, wonderful truths that God is trying to share with us in his word. But today, far more than telling a story, because Jesus did this constantly too, didn't he? Jesus constantly told parables and stories 
to bring light, to illustrate. So they may not be the thing itself, but Jesus is using that to shine a light on some great true thing. For instance, who is my neighbor? What is true wealth? What is the kingdom of heaven like? And so forth and so on. So Jesus himself uses those illustrations, but nothing begins to compare to the illustration which was the one who was in fact telling the story, the one who was in fact the story himself. Jesus wasn't the concept of light and love or of hope. He wasn't a painting about peace or joy. Each of those concepts took on arms and legs in the living, breathing child that's born in Bethlehem. So let me illustrate. Three great theological truths. There are many more we could talk about, but three tremendous ones that should stand up and just simply confront us with the birth of the Christ child. And the first one is the incarnation. And I've said this to you before, and forgive me for repeating myself, but this is so critical because it is absolutely and completely unique to faithful, classic, orthodox Christianity is the incarnation. No other faith system teaches this principle, that God would bend low to become a man, fully human, fully divine, not, take, not, set, not um, being any less God and not being any less human, but fully human and fully divine in that one package, the incarnation. John is speaking of it in John chapter 1. And you know, it's interesting. People, have diff- people love different gospels differently. Some people like Luke the best. Some people love Matthew the best because of the history and the Jewish connections. Other people love Mark because it's so straight to the point. And other people love John because it's so philosophical. It's so illustrative. He uses concepts, light and darkness and water and all of these different things that he talks about. But John is trying to remind us that this great truth is absolutely fundamental to our salvation. Only God could save. And only God would redeem his whole creation. Not from on high, but coming to be in our midst. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. And so Jesus is the illustration of the incarnation. You can talk to your blue in the face about God understanding us or God being truly physical or God walking through the same hurts or sufferings and emotions that we have. And it means almost nothing until you see him face to face. Jesus is the illustration of the incarnation that makes it real. The second one is when Jesus stands there as illustration it reminds us how real sin is. I so often think that we struggle with sin in some ways because, uh, because we're all in the same boat. Every one of us is broken by sin. And so sometimes if we're not aware of it or we don't examine it or reflect on it much, we just kind of go along saying, well, I'm no worse than that schlub over there. Or I'm not necessarily any better than that person. I wrestle with sin, and I'm imperfect, and you're imperfect. It's kind of an I'm okay, you're okay, or I'm not so good, you're not so good either. We're just all kind of making our way. And what really brings it to light is when that one who is sinless stands in our midst. The contrast is so great. 
that you can't miss it. Jesus strides into the place. And here, you know, C.S. Lewis does a nice job of talking about this. When he says, here comes this Jesus, and he walks around forgiving people that he has nothing to do with them. You know, Lewis says, if somebody goes around and says, you know, like, I don't know, um, Teresa and I are having an argument or something, and Jesus walks up to us and says, oh, I forgive you. It's okay. You know, in our world, we'd look around and say, what do you, what do you have to do? What business is this of yours? And, that, and we have that natural reaction because if you did that with us, we're all just sinners together. So you can't fix that for me. But Jesus walks in, and in his sinless, perfect nature, fully human and fully divine, he walks in and speaks into our brokenness and into our sin and says, I long to forgive you for that, and I will pay the price for that. He comes in and speaks to us as if he, in fact, is the one who will pay the penalty to restore that healing, to restore us in the way God intends for us to be. So he is not just a picture or a concept, but in fact, he reminds us that sin is real. That's the symbol, the cross. But it is the one who hangs upon it who creates the reality of what the cross illustrates. The third great theological truth is that grace alone saves and it too is illustrated by a real man who has real suffering, sheds real blood, endures real anguish, and takes upon himself and becomes the full payment. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. When Jesus says, it is finished, it is completed, it is done, we know that that work has been accomplished not as a declaration from on high, but as a declaration from among us. His life then becomes our life, even as his death becomes our death in baptism to rise to newness of life. Yes, there's a symbol of a tomb, but it is the one who walks out of the tomb who proves to us that his victory is in fact our own. The joy of Christmas begins with the baby, It's expressed in the mysterious and wondrous words of John. In the beginning was the word. They're made real and accessible to young and old, rich and poor, the academic and the unlettered, in every language and tribe, in the physical, actual birth of a human infant. With all the usual stuff that comes with a baby, feeding and changing and loving and raising every fiber of our being. But oh, he is so much more. For he is the word and the light, our hope, our prince of peace, the Messiah, all wrapped in humble state, swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And that's an illustration I pray we can understand and embrace. To fully know the love of God, that illustration lies in the manger. And that Jesus longs to embrace us. To God be the glory. Amen.